0: Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for allowing me to do this. Hallelujah. Welcome. I'm Ron Geyer. These are End Time Insights. We're going through the book of Revelation. We're going through the seven churches. And I just got to take a second and thank the Lord for the team that he has given me to do this radio show here at KKHT. It just works out so well. It was a God thing. I had no intention of getting on the radio. And then I have a big mouth and God always opens doors for me as I go through teaching. And so I'm excited to do this. Revelation, this is the chapter two. We are week number two concerning the book of Pergamos. We are going to be going through verses, I think it's 13 through 17. Let me see if that is correct here. I had it when I was studying, and now it's gone, and I know it's right in between these two pages. Well, I'll get there. I think that's it. Let's see, page 42, 14 through 17. That's it. Hallelujah. But let me finish up where we were. We were talking about the martyr Antipas, and I stopped there, and I did want to give you some information on who he is. He's only mentioned briefly in the Bible, but man, what a story this guy has. Let's see what Jesus has to say about Antipas. Uh, We just talked about last week about them, the church, the Pergamos church, the church that was called the Church of Compromise. But hey, they were also a very strong church. Remember, Paul planted Pergamos. Jesus had Paul plant the church at Pergamos right smack in the middle of Satan's throne room. Now man, God's got to think highly of you in order to place you in a position like that. He put them right in the devil's stronghold. Remember, Pergamus was the seat of Roman government for the uh, whole continent of Asia. And it was evil. It was the darkest city ever known. It was a terrible region, false gods, demonic, pagan behavior, sacrifices going on. And God says, what a great place to build a church. And so Paul, fearless Paul, he sends him out there. And sure enough, they're being persecuted. And when we get to verse, I think it's 13, it talks about the fact that even in those days where an antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So we see that antipas was called by Jesus Christ, his faithful martyr. The Greek word for martyr is actually martis, uh, martus, M-A-R-T-Y-U-S. And the way it reads is, The Greek says it like this, that witness of mine, the faithful one, that's who Antipas was. Brother Antipas, not a lot written in the Bible about him, but man, history, chronological history, what's the word? How do I want to say it? Chronological, whatever. History keeps an account of what he did, and it's interesting. The name Antipas. Anti is anti against. Pas is everything. Antipas was a social misfit. He was an outcast. He was against everything that the pagans stood for. He lived during a time of great persecution in Pergamum. His name stood for his stance against paganism. He was anti-social, of course, in that circles, as you would expect. He was anti-compromise. He was a non-conformist. He himself. He was rigid, he was inflexible, and uncompromising. Truth is, he was actually representative of the mindset of the early believers in the city. I told you, these were brave folks. God stuck them in the seat, in the throne where Satan was ruling. And you needed Christians with the bark on, as Louis Lamore would say in his Westerns. You needed Christians that were strong, that were uncompromising, that were fearless. That is the type of Christian that was in the city of Pergamus, and Antipas was their leader. And remember, Christians were trying to unseat Satan from his throne in that city. Transformation of Christianity was radical. When you got saved, you got radically saved. The Greek word for witness is martyrs, as I was saying. It describes one who is summoned to testify in a court of law or a legal proceeding and to present evidence of proof. Both the word martyr and witness carried with it the idea of suffering. A witness in the Greek culture was required to be faithful or trustworthy to the truth and only to the truth. And he was required to speak the truth. Jesus, by calling him my faithful witness, my faithful martyr, he knew that he could count on Antipas. And it's probably at this point that we need to stop and think for a second. Jesus knew he could count on Antipas. You should be asking yourself the question, can Jesus count on me? Ouch. And then you follow that with, well, what can he be counting on me for? Basically, to do anything that he needs you to do. In the case of Antipas, God needed him to suffer the life of a martyr for the kingdom's sake. And Antipas was faithful in doing that. Where's my space here? Antipas, probably the first Christian, we see Stephen recorded as the first Christian martyr, but Antipas was pretty much right after that. He was sentenced actually to a public killing but it was a strange killing slain among you. My faithful martyr Antipas slain among you where Satan dwelleth. This is so interesting. Literally it says he was slain in your midst. That was it. They wanted to make an open show, the Roman government, the Jews, wanted to make an open show of his death. He was out there. He was powerful. He was witnessing. He was such a powerful witness. He would go through the city casting out devils. It got to the point where the people whom the devils inhabited, they went to the government and they said, we are no longer coming into the city as long as this guy is here. We want him out. So the governor summoned him and he got to talk. And I don't have time to read it, but uh, Rick Renner has a book out. It's called No Compromise. It's a huge tabletop books, seven, 800 pages about the church at Pergamos, about the life of Antipas. And he actually responded. His words are recorded in how he responded to the uh, accusations by the governor. And he got in their face and he told them the truth. These are men and women like we need to have in America today that are missing from our pulpits. I pray that God changes that. Literally, slain among you, slain in your midst, right alongside you. Slain pictures murder. It pictures execution. One writer says it presents the idea of a specially brutal or gruesome type of execution. They killed him right in the most of public places. Satan was sending a message to the city. He was sending a message to the church, reject Christ or die. Now, this city, Pergamos, let me go off this little tiny rabbit trail here. This was the darkest city that's probably ever been. There were different gods and idols on every corner. They were worshipped in Pergamum. As yet, Zeus was most likely the most prominent. Don't forget, you had different forms of worship. You had the worship of Roma, the principle of Roman rule. And it was their emperor, Domitian, in this case at this time, whom you worshipped. And he was the first emperor who actually claimed himself to be deity. And so you had the worship of Rome, you had the worship of Zeus, the Greek mythology, you had the worship where the temple of Diane was there. Uh, In front of this temple of Zeus, in front there was a ledge, and on this ledge, there's Zeus, of course, the temple was built on the highest point. And so they would sacrifice all the time, and around the temple of Zeus, there was smoke going up 24-7, they were always sacrificing to Zeus. And oftentimes that sacrifice was Christians. And the way that they sacrificed and crucified Antipas was they had a huge metal bowl that was built on the ledge in front of the temple. It had a side door on the bull itself, and it had flutes near its head. And when somebody was placed inside, they were literally burned. They heated the bowl. And they were burned alive in the bull, and the screams and the howls of the people being burnt in there. It would come out through these flutes and it would actually play some type of demonic music. It is amazing the machinations in the mind of man when he wants to do evil. And of course, this they did to Antipas as a witness that you will not uh, exalt the name of Jesus Christ in this city. The screams of those tortured could be heard, and amazingly enough, as they went through the fluted sound system in the massive bull's head, musical sounds came from within. At some point, the victims would die, the guardians would open the door and remove the bones, and they would polish them, and they wore them as trophies of the conquest around their necks. Is that not disgusting or what? I mean, this is what's going on during this time of persecution while Jesus says, I'm going to send you to Satan's throne to the seat of his power and I want you to make inroads for me. And Antipas, the rebel's rebel, fearless, strong, casting out demons. They had to go ahead and create new laws. They had to go ahead and literally kill him so that the demons could come back into the city. That's, that's how much influence this man had. And, you know, here we are. We've got a long ways to go, church. So, why was such a special death reserved for Mr. Antipas? As we said, he was a very special kind of rebel. He was just a regular hard-working kind of guy who was fearless. He preached fearlessly and actually went around the city casting out demons out of people. So much so that they brought charges against him. The demons feared to enter the city and they had to do something about him. He was literally draining the swamp, the city of Pergamos, of its demons. They brought before the authorities charges and he was given the opportunity to repent and to stop and to pledge allegiance to the gods that ruled the, the Greeks and Emperor Domitian, but he would have none of it. He told them to repent. There was only one true and living God and so they threw him into the bowl. Interesting story, but it's true. I don't know what it's going to take for us in America to get that courage up. I don't know how we're going to be able to summon it. I don't know how far we've come in our compromise and our cowardice, but this is the type of people that the Lord Jesus Christ is looking for. He called them his faithful martyr. Some of us are going to have to come to grips with the fact that we may be killed for our testimony. We have just got to accept that. The full gospel, the word of faith movement, the prosperity message, it has gone in opposite directions from telling the people the life of suffering and sacrifice that we're supposed to be living. So we have got to be retrained. That's why when we hear about the judgment that comes upon us, when we hear the fact that God sent, God sent uh, disease, God sent tribulation, God sent. Uh, Plagues upon us. We don't believe it's God because we've been taught lies. We don't know the God of the Bible. Well, that has got to change. Once that is changed and we can get truth in the minds of the believers, we'll have a better chance of defending our nation. I believe our nation is too far gone. I don't see us returning to righteousness. But that doesn't mean that the church can't stand tall. That doesn't mean we can still glean souls from Satan's grip and win the loss for Christ. But we're going to have to go ahead and do it, and we're going to have to go do it in an environment of persecution and sacrifice. Where are the antipostas in America today? I know there are some. Where are the ones who refuse to deny Christ that won't shut their doors with the church when they say shut, that won't bow when they say bow, that won't quit praying and laying hands on the sick, that won't force their people to wear a mask over this pandemic that has shut our nation down. We've got to rise back up and defend the people of America with the truth. We've got to tell people the truth. Revelation 21.8, and here's a warning for you. Uh, Twenty-one, eight. but the fearful and the unbelieving, there it is right there, the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable. Look, look who Jesus puts the fearful and the unbelieving with. He puts them with the abominable. He puts them with the murderers. He puts them with the whoremongers. He puts them with the sorcerers, the witches, the idolaters, and all liars. All of these people shall have their part in the lake, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. The great majority of American Christians have been lulled into a false sense of security through passive preaching and carnal compromise. We must counter those errors with bold, fearless preaching and displays of faith that will surely bring persecution. We can't run from the first persecution. You don't run from the roar. You run to the roar. When there's a fire, you don't run away from it. You run to it. You try to push it out. When there's a crime being committed, you don't run away. You run toward the problem to help, to assist. You're always thinking about others. That is Christianity. When we shut our doors down, we weren't thinking about others. We were thinking about ourselves. You've got how to change that mindset. Fearless preaching and displays of faith are what's required. They will surely bring persecution, but that's okay. Status quo guarantees us, today's current church in America, a front row seat in the tribulation and guarantees us a missed opportunity to leave this earth in the rapture of the church. Let's go on to the negative things that Jesus had to say about the church. Don't forget, this was considered the church of compromise, and yet the first three or four verses, all he does is congratulate them, praise them, lets them know how pleased he is with them. Well, now he says, I've got a few things against thee in verse 14, because you have them that hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And what about the doctrine of Balaam? Balaam was a so-called prophet of God. Truth is, he was a witch that hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed, unto idols and to commit fornication. So you had people in the church that were following the doctrine of Balaam. And what about the doctrine of Balaam? He cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. And it's a terrible story, Numbers twenty one, twenty two. Terrible story. So Balaam, who claimed to speak for God, actually a witch, spoke for Satan he did things that put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Seven things God hates. Yea, seven are an abomination. He that soweth discord amongst the brethren. That's what Balaam was doing. So he caused them to eat things, sacrifice unto idols, and to commit fornication. That's what this guy did in the church. That's what having this doctrine in your church does. Verse 15. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I also hate. So these are the two things that Jesus challenges the church at Pergamus for. Number one, they're following the doctrine of Balaam. And number two, they're following the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So let's research them so we know what we're talking about. As we begin to look at the few things, two things that Jesus had against the church at Pergamus, it's important to remember that this city was most likely the darkest city in the history of the church. It was home to the temple of Athena and the altar of Zeus, as well as the worship of Asclepius Sartor. I don't know if you're familiar with Asclepius Sartor. Have you ever seen the medical community symbol? It's a pole and wrapped around it are either one snake or two snakes. Okay, that's the symbol for medicine. And that comes from Asclepius Sartor. Asclepius is the nick guy's name. Sartor was the title he was given. And you'll find this very offensive. Sartor literally means savior. They called him Asclepius the savior. And we know that's not true. But they called him that because of the extreme healing properties that he exhibited. And he had his own temple in Pergamos. And he was right there behind Zeus, so much so that they gave him the name Savior. And so just like God is God and Jesus is the Savior, well, Zeus was God and Asclepius was the Savior of the Greeks. And he was considered a healing Savior in Greek culture. Uh, and once again, all of these demons were there, but they all took a back seat to what was coming into large prominence now, which was the worship of Rome, the worship of the emperor, the worship of Domitian. First, Asclepius. People would come to Pergamus. They were world famous for their healing temples. They would come to Pergamus to get healed. What it is They would visit The many physicians That worked in Pergamus, And they worked there They were all Worshipping demon gods And when they finished with their doctor visit, as it were. I mean, and they had halls. You had a hall before you got into the temple. And in this hall, there were like healing rooms. And you would go into the healing room and you would listen to mellow music. You may take a medicinal, natural herb drug that would set you at ease or something like that. And they would create an environment for you to receive your healing. When you were done being in that room off to the hall, then you would go into the actual temple and you would spend the night there and they had snakes crawling on the ground. And they were non-venomous snakes, but it was considered as you slept there at night with these drugs, uh, listening to this music, if you're so fortunate enough to have a snake crawl on your body over the nighttime, you would have been considered as touched by Asclepius, the god of healing, and you would have been said to have been healed. Now, because Of the natural remedies that they had, many people did actually experience a sense of healing. And that is where the reputation grew. You would go into the temple after spending time under these influence of drugs and demon worship, and you would actually be near the medical center there, and the pagan healing rituals would get you ready to receive this. And like I said, if you were fortunate to have a snake crawl over you, you were totally blessed and favored by the gods. We mention him because his influence carries over into our modern medical practices today. Up until 1964, 1964, what is that? That's 36 and 21, 57 years ago. Up until 1964, the Hippocratic Oath included mention of the pagan gods that were worshipped during the early centuries, during the healing services of Asclepius. Pagan influences still, they still are involved in many of our so-called Christian doctrines, such as the celebration of Easter, the celebration of Christmas. And I have a picture here, but you can't see it, but you can look it up. Look up the Rod of Asclepius. It's spelled several different ways. A-S-K-L-E-P-I-O-S. The Rod of Asclepius. A-S-K-L-E-P-I-O-S. And from that Rod of Asclepius was born the current symbol of the medical community. I say all this as a way of reminding you this was the environment in which Jesus was planted and growing the church at Pergamos. Remember, don't forget about Antipas. Verse 14, But I have a few things against you because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. Back to Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. The name Balaam means the ancient of the people, the destruction of the people. I don't know if you understand this yet, if I'm making it clear enough yet, that since we aren't familiar with physical persecution here in America, but even in Pergamus, where the church witnessed the murder and the martyrdom of Antipas, there was far more deadly evil lurking and it was beginning to manifest in the church there. I cannot shout it loud enough. The dangers that we in the church are experienced in America by letting false doctrines and false teachers have our pulpits. We have got to discern, John says, try them. Paul and John in the book of Ephesus, people will come and say they're apostles, and John said, you try them. And he congratulated the church at Ephesus for trying people and kicking them out. If you say you're an apostle, and we look and check you out, and you're you're down the road, you're out. We let anybody in our pulpits. We're letting women in our pulpits as lead pastors in our churches. That is not biblical. You cannot compromise the church to conform to the current culture in America. The current culture in America is demonic. It is built on carnality. It is built on compromise. It is built on fear. It is built on pagan rituals that have still remained through centuries over here, and we cannot let them into our churches. Just because something seems to be working, if it's not biblical, then you stop doing it. I cannot say that enough. When the church witnessed the murder of Antipas, there was far more deadly evil still lurking there, and it was manifesting throughout the church, and that's what Jesus was calling them out for. Seduction from within is Satan's master plan to destroy the church. And in the story of Balaam, we see it played out to perfection in all its insidious wickedness. Jesus hates compromise. I, I can't say that enough. Jesus hates compromise. There's no way to say it too strongly. When he talks about the deeds of the Nicolaitans, the word used there for hate is miseo, M-I-S-E-O. It is the strongest word in the Greek for hate, and it literally means to detest, to abhor. Jesus takes this compromise of his church quite seriously. It's personal to him. You know, remember, he died for this church, And to to shame the blood of Jesus through compromise, there's no greater affront to the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we compromise in our churches with doctrine or when we compromise by fear, basically it's a literal slap in the face to our Messiah. Jesus abhors compromise in his church. Ah, Amen. If we could just get a hold of that. Jesus called the doctrine of Balaam the mindset of compromise. He called it the doctrine of Balaam. And it's all about compromise. Uh, When we come back next time, we're also going to talk about um, the Nicolaitans, which is total compromise. And we're going to let you know what's going on in regards to our churches today and how these doctrines are running rampant through our churches. Remember, Balaam was an Old Testament diviner, literally, and what he was, was he was a witch in the purest sense. Uh, He would do what he did for money, he would do what he did for private gain, and as a result of his suggestion to compromise Balaam, literally 20, I think it was 30,000 Jewish people were hung and died. Because of that sin. And we'll give you that in detail. And God is the one that does that, by the way. Don't think, you know, the new age God that we've created, he's still sovereign. And if there's something that displeases him in his church, he is going to deal with that. We cannot stop him from dealing with his church. The sooner we understand the judgmental side of God within his church, the corrective side of God, the love of Jesus in dealing with his church, the sooner we understand that, the better off we'll be able to be, the better off we'll be able to paint an accurate, picture of who he is. Pray with me as we go before God. May intercede for our nation. Father God, we love you. The Bible says the goodness of God leads us to repentance, Lord God. And we just trust you in this right now that we will see your goodness. Amen and amen. I'm on God. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next time.